0: in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Um, This month, we're focusing on our mission statement, which is up on the screen right now, which is to know Christ and to make him known. That's our church mission statement, and we could probably have worded that a whole bunch of different uh, ways. But the first week, two weeks ago, we started this four-week series, and we saw in 2 Peter chapter 2 that salvation is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so if you are wanting to find salvation from your sins, that has to be found in the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Sean preached from Mark chapter 12, and we were in the great commandment, which was focused on loving God and loving others. Exactly what our mission statement is focused on. And today we're going to look at Matthew 28, which some have entitled the Great Commission. And this is a question I have for you. What is your mission in life? What is your mission in life? How do you spend your time focused on that mission? What do you uh, do with your possessions, with your money, or even your conversations, your words? What is your mission uh, in life? And if I was asking your neighbor, your co-worker, a schoolmate, or a friend, and I asked them, what is their mission in life? What would they tell me? That's the question for us to examine today is that God's word is clear. He's given all believers a mission. And the question is, is are we chasing after that mission in life? And I, I think that because of our nation, that we are just people who are con- we consume things. We want to uh, have things for us. And I, I think that uh, if you ask a number of Christians, that they may say that the mission of the church is fellowship is to make people happy and joyful. And those things are great when there's unity in Christ and there's a joy in Christ. But if fellowship was the mission of the church, to have perfect fellowship, what the reality is is once you're saved, Jesus would just take us to heaven because perfect fellowship is there but what God has given, and today we're we'll look at it, is He's given a mission to the disciples that were with Him, and it's not only for them at that time, but it's for us who calls ourselves disciples today. Therefore, the mission of this church, of every church, every Christian, is to go and make disciples of all the nations. Next month we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. And start a series going through that. And in Ephesians 2, it tells us Jesus builds his church. But it's also humbling that he uses his people in that process. And so this morning, as we look at this, we must understand that Jesus saves his people from their sins. And he sends his people out. And that's the big idea this morning. The big idea is this. Jesus saves and he sends Saved people or sent people. So if you have salvation in Christ today, Jesus sends you, and we need to pay attention to what He has charged us with. Would you look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Word of God. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your truth that you would help us to be people who are obedient to the call upon our lives as followers of Jesus. We pray and ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to your word, and would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we look at the text, I want to draw your attention to the three kind of focused words this morning, and, and it's authority, obedience, and assurance. And I want us to look at verse 16 through 18 and the first one being authority. And I want us to draw our attention to those verses. And so look at verse 16. Uh, A little background on this is that Jesus has spent three years of his life with his disciples it says there's 11 who are there with him. We don't know if there's others who are with him. We know that after Jesus Christ died and he rose again, that the, there was a 40-day period there. At one point, the Apostle Paul says there was 500 people that saw him. We don't know if they're all there or not. Matthew mentions the 11 who are there. And it says, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. He obviously told them where to go. They show up and are obedient and look at verse 17. I'm so thankful that Matthew puts this in here. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And here's the reason why I'm so thankful this is in here. Is because if God's word has been given by the Holy Spirit, that's a wonderful thing. And skeptics like to take that the fact the word doubted is used there. And I think it's wonderful that it is there because it shows us the honesty and integrity of the Word of God. Matthew could have just left that out. He could have just said, hey, they worship Jesus, but look at what he says. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The word, the word worship there means proskuneo. It means to actually like to bend the knee or to bend towards or to kiss towards or to lay prostrate on the ground and to worship. The risen Lord was standing before them, and they worshiped him as Lord God Almighty. Now, it says that some doubted. Now, if again, if it was the 11 there, what does it truly mean there? Because some would like to say, oh, see, they rejected Jesus as Lord. They doubted that he was Lord. And really, when you read this, uh, it can mean that they hesitated or they didn't necessarily know, in a sense, I mean, how to actually respond to him. We know that Thomas, one of the disciples, doubted until Jesus appeared to him and said, hey, Thomas, look up at my hands, the holes in my hands and feet. And he said, my Lord and and my God. But the key here is that they worshiped Jesus as Lord God Almighty. It wasn't just a man that was there. They worshiped him as Lord. And he says this in verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth Has been given to me. Highlight, circle, underline that word authority. And think for a minute. If you go back and read through the Gospels, you must remember Jesus was in a boat with the disciples and there was wind and waves and they thought they were going to die. Jesus was asleep. They say, Jesus, we're going to die. He stands up and with the word ceases the wind and the waves. A friend of Jesus died was put in a tube. Anyone know his name? Lazarus. Remember him? It'd been a few days. Jesus goes to the tomb, and he's like gonna have, hey, open the tomb. and They're like, hey, you know, he stinks. His, his body's rotting, and he's like, hey, pull it back, and he's like, Lazarus, come out. Jesus did that. And Lazarus came out from death to life, Jesus cast out demons. He healed countless numbers of people. He fed thousands with a few pieces of bread and fish. And the reason is because he's the one with all authority, all absolute and universal authority. And so when Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, it doesn't matter what he says next. If he tells you something that seems impossible, you pay attention and you go forward and do that because he's the one with all authority. And when you are reminded of that and it sets the stage for what he tells the disciples to do next, it gives hope that whatever he says next is possible to do because he's the one who said it, who has all authority. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul is praying for the church and behalf of the church in Ephesus. And here's what he prays, part of his prayer in Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. You and I must be reminded today that Jesus, God Almighty, the one with all authority, is the one who gives us the mission to live in this world, and he has all power and all might. Therefore, the disciples then And disciples now can go and do what God calls them to do by the power of God. Now, let me ask you a question How did Jesus, or what did Jesus tell the disciples how they would have power to fulfill the mission he gave them? How? Where would they receive their power from? The Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 and 17, he promised them that. And if you think about the disciples, the disciples went out to the ends of the earth to go share the gospel and they died. They were killed. They were persecuted for the name of Christ. Not just because of some belief but because they were saved and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, today, we should take great joy in the fact that Jesus, the one with all authority, is the one that sends us out. And God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. The power of God that raised Christ from life to death dwells in the believer. Now, is that encouraging? It helps us put our mind in the right mindset when we think of going and making disciples, going out and sharing the gospel with other people. It also helps us with a second word and the second point this morning, this word obedience. God gives a command, Jesus commands, and he expects his followers to obey. On our own without the Holy Spirit, we will never obey. But because the Holy Spirit dwells in the life of the believer, Not only do we now desire to obey, but we can, even though we battle with sin, the Holy Spirit can enable us to be obedient, to follow what God has laid out for us in His Word to go and live and do today. So look at verse 19 and 20 here, and as we begin to look at that, let me ask you this. Have any of you ever cooked something without following the directions? Anyone? Anyone want to admit? Did it? Did it turn out bad? Anyone have an experience like that? Or, or, or I won't ask any of the men to join me in this. But have you ever uh, p- put something together and not use the instruction booklet? And you're like me, and there's pieces left over, and you're like wondering why the thing isn't working? Because I'm like, oh, I just put it together. I was, I was, uh, and when I was in uh, college, I was, I was preparing and doing stuff, looking at full time ministry, and. W- A bunch of us that were uh, looking to serve as pastors went and we had a funeral home director come and talk to us about following instructions. And he was talking about his friend who had performed a, uh, a funeral for a man who had been in the Navy. And so he was charged with caring for the body and preparing the coffin and things because he was going to be buried at sea. And the Navy gave him a big old thick book on how to prepare. So the day comes, the family, the body, the coffin, everything has been brought to the ship. They go out on the water, they have the ceremony, and there is a point at which they um, launch the coffin into the water. And everyone's gathered around, and it just floats like a well built Navy ship. And it's just floating. The commander leader says, all right, we're going to ask everyone to go ahead and go on downstairs, go down the ship there for uh, following the ceremony here. And he says, the funeral director, you come here. <clears throat> did you follow the instructions? He goes, oh, I received, yeah, yeah, I, re- I followed the instructions. Did you follow the instructions in the booklet? Yeah, I did. Did you read every page? He says, I don't know if I read every page and he says you were directed in the instructions to cut certain amount and certain size holes in the bottom of the coffin you were supposed to weight one end of it so that when it was let into the water it would just sink to the depths instead he said um, it's guys like you that make us have to do this and he gave an order and some mounted gun on the ship had to put some holes into this coffin so it would sink He said, you got to go tell the family what happened. It's important to follow instructions. And the wonderful thing about God's truth is we have everything, as we read two weeks ago in 2 Peter chapter 2 or chapter 1, that we have everything in the knowledge of Christ for life and godliness, right? Remember that passage? We have instructions in how to be a disciple and to make disciples, and we need to pay attention to them. And so Jesus calls for obedience. Look at verse 19 and 20. There's four action words he uses here, and he commands all who follow him to be a disciple and to be a disciple-maker. The first one there in verse 19, the first action word is go, or therefore based on the authority of Christ, or go therefore based on the authority of Christ. And I think this is a great puzzle piece for us today in how we live our lives, because it's this picture of not just going, and many people will think of missionary work and going to the ends of the world, and evangelism will We'll look at that in just a minute here. But it's got this picture of as you go, as you live your life in the places that you live, in the neighborhoods, wherever you're at in school and work in your neighborhood, that you go about the work of God and make disciples. He never gives instructions that you should take a table, set it on a corner at a stoplight, make some signs that say turn and burn and grab a bullhorn and yell at everyone that pulls up to the stoplight. There's nothing like that, but he gives us instructions in how to love God, to love others, to make disciples, and to, as again, to remember that he's the one who does the work through us, and he calls us to go. I was reminded this week of James chapter 1, verse 22, which says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves and I began praying this week that God would continue to build discovery that we would be people who don't just hear the word who don't just absorb the word and sit in classes and sit in small groups and sit in Sundays and just read and read and read and do nothing with it but that we would be obedient to the call of God on our lives to go and make disciples to know Christ and to make Christ known and I think this is where it gets to the challenging part. He says, "Go therefore and do what." What's the next action word there in verse nineteen? Therefore, go or go therefore and what? Make, make what? Disciples of all the nations. Does Jesus or does your version say, "Go and make converts"? Anyone? It doesn't say that. It says, "Go and make." Disciples, and I believe this is one part where churches in America today get it wrong, is we struggle with making converts versus making disciples, and what I mean in this is that churches can be well-intentioned. The programs can be great. The events can have some great ideas and things. We're going to do this and this and this. We're going to reach these people and do all these things. But what happens is there's no picture of true discipleship. It's more of getting them in the church, getting them to fill a seat. 20 years ago, I was doing youth ministry with junior high and high school. And the church we had had a stage that was probably as wide as this building. It was huge. And we had a huge amount of finances. And we built it into a skate park one week. And we had professional skaters on the stage, do, stage doing all kinds of things. We brought in a couple bands that were just blasting the room. And there were hundreds of junior high and high school students there. And a, a person got up, shared their testimony, shared the gospel. And literally hundreds of junior high and high school students raised their hand, came forward and said, I profess Jesus is Lord. I can't think of any of those kids who are walking with Jesus today. The church is not a place of entertainment like the world. Disneyland does it way better than the church can. We're called to tell people about Jesus. Now, methods and those things are not bad. I can tell you all kinds of other events that I've been a part of at churches. God used it for his glory and the intentionality was people coming into Christ and growing as disciples. So just because I knocked skateboarding and stuff like that, I'm sorry if you're a skater or something like that, God can use those things. But we cannot get it backwards and think that that's what's going to do a job that the Holy Spirit does, saving people. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, a disciple cannot be made. Without the Holy, power of the Holy Spirit, none of us can be saved. And so we rejoice in that. So with that, when it says go and make disciples, we now have to ask the question, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who believes in the good news, believes the gospel. They believe the fact that Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, that Jesus Christ died on a cross in your place for your sins, that he paid the price. He took the wrath of God, the father, and he died and he rose again back from death to life and We are told from God's word that if we believe in faith in Christ, we will be saved. And God does that saving work in us. That's a disciple. That's a follower of Jesus. These disciples here in the text that are with him, they've been following him for three years. The first command he told them back in, I think it's Matthew chapter 4. He says, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And here he gives them these these closing type of commands before he ascends to heaven of how they are to go and make disciples. A disciple is a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, you've been born again. You've been given a new identity. That uh, you've been adopted into the family of God as one of God's children, one of His own. That you've been given salvation by a gift of grace, by faith alone in Christ. And anyone who is not a disciple, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, then what you have to face in eternity is the wrath of God separation from Jesus Christ in hell for eternity. That's what someone who is not a disciple, a disciple will be with Jesus for eternity, singing like we were just singing, praise the name of the Lord our God. So if we know a description in a sense of what a disciple is, a follower of Christ, then the question goes, he says, go make disciples. How do people, how how do we go and do that? God I mean, think about this. This is actually very humbling. God builds His church, but He uses us, His followers, to go tell people, and the Holy Spirit convicts hearts. I mean, imagine, God doesn't need us, does He? I mean, are any of us under the deception or lie that God needs us? He doesn't need us. Some people think that God created heaven and and created us because He needed us. God didn't need any of us. But in his wonderful, glorious plan of salvation, he chooses to use us in his plan. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. The next action word there is in verse 19. It says, make disciples of all the nations. And let me just say, when you read the word all in these verses here, it's repetitive. You know what all means? All. All nations, tribes, tongues, people, groups. And I just say this. Some people read this as Christians and go, I'm not an evangelist. I am not Billy Graham. I know that Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, there's the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's where sometimes our mind goes. But evangelism is the part of making disciples, which all of us are called to do. And that, for some of us, may be fearful, and we may struggle with, how do I do that? we are called to go, we're called to make disciples of all the nations, and it says in verse 19, doing what? What's the next action word? You guys are mumbling, I can't hear you. Baptize, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have another action word here. The word baptizo means to dip repeatedly under the water, to immerse, to dunk, submerge. And we must be clear as we read God's word that Baptism is never in any description in what saves us. We're saved by the grace of God through the work of Christ at the cross. We're not saved by baptism. At the same time, we are called to be obedient. And Jesus says to baptize disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. And, 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 and at the beginning of the accounts when they're hanging on the cross, you know, one's mocking Jesus, where at one point one says to Jesus, he realized this is God. He says, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. Jesus did not say, hey, can you guys take him down and go dunk him in the water? He didn't say, hey, bring some water and like throw it up in the air on him or sprinkle him with him. The guy had faith in Christ, and he says, you'll be with me in paradise today. At the same time, don't use the thief as your excuse to not be obedient, to be baptized. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you profess him as Lord, you need to be baptized. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Come talk to myself or Pastor Sean or someone in this room and say, hey, I need to get baptized. Because what baptism is, it's this outward public statement that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I've placed my faith in him. I am not ashamed of him. That's really what it is. And it's a wonderful time for the body of Christ to gather and celebrate. Just that, hey, God, you saved another person. The grace of God. So if some of you have not been baptized, hey, you need to uh, be obedient to the Lord in that. But the problem is, is if we only go, if we only, uh, this aspect of making disciples and baptize, if we're, we are not fully being obedient. And what I mean by that is, what does it say in verse 20 to do next in the action there? What's the word there? Teach, or teaching. Teaching them to observe, or teaching them to obey, and to obey, to obey what? What do we t- supposed to teach them? Is the word all in there again? All that I have commanded you. The word obey or observe there means to attend to, to, to carefully take care of or to guard. And I'll tell you this. If discovery is supposed to be about Jesus Christ and anything else, it's to be about this. Teaching people to do what Christ has told us to do. Teaching people to be obedient to what Jesus has taught us to do. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that the church and those who have been given certain gifts and positions of leadership are to equip the body of Christ for works of service. Therefore, we need to preach and we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And this is what I pray that we never stray from here at Discovery. And if you are here and you're a part of this church, if this church and the leadership ever strays from preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God, you better hold them accountable. If I got up here and said, hey, let's just talk about 10 great things we can do as people in the world. And I never opened the Bible once. I sure hope that you want to kick me out of this church because we have God's word And as Christians in America, we're some of the most illiterate people in the Bible, in the world. And some of us have seven, eight, ten copies in our house. We need to read the Word of God. We need to teach the Word of God. We need to preach the Word of God here. And so it's wonderful that we have all kinds of studies going on here on campus, in homes, Sunday morning, Sunday, all kinds of opportunities. But again, as we read in James, let us also not be people who just hear the Word of God and do nothing. Let us be doers of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 points out how valuable the Word of God is. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. We, we generally like to only like the teaching part. But God's word is good for reproof and for correction, for training in righteousness. We need to be about the whole counsel of God's word and not just camp out in one verse for 20 years. We need to go through the word of God. We need to read it. and We need to teach it. And so you may go, be going, how do I do what Jesus says to do? He says, make disciples, baptize them. It says, teach them to obey. The way we do that, we tell them to look to Jesus. We teach people, be an imitator of Jesus. Be obedient as Jesus was obedient that on the night that he's betrayed, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is saying, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to bear your wrath for the sins of mankind, but I'm willing. I'm so thankful that Jesus was obedient. And he sets the greatest example. And that's what we teach people who come to faith in Christ. Follow Jesus. Be obedient to what he has done, that that he taught us and what he's left us and in his word, that we would be obedient to that. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And some of us think keeping what Jesus has called us to do is impossible. You ever felt like that? That, man, there's so much here, Lord. I can't do all these things. And you can't. We still struggle with sin. But I'll tell you this we can be obedient. Because of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said obey. He didn't say be perfect. At the same time, that doesn't give us an excuse to just go out and freely sin. But God's word points that one day we will be glorified. No more struggle with sin. What an amazing, amazing, glorious moment that will be. But Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That Jesus' yoke of discipleship, what he lays out for us, is not crushing and so heavy like the religious Pharisees and their interpretation of the law and what they tried to throw on people. Jesus is saying, no, discipleship. And what I call you to is easy and my burden is light. In First John 5 verse 3, 1 John 5 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We are able to go and make disciples. We are able to go in the name of Christ. Because of the authority of Jesus. And because of the authority of Jesus being God Almighty. And the spirit living in us. um, We're able to go in his name. Fulfill what he's called us to do. And the last and final word that we look at. Helps us even more. Look at verse 20. The word is assurance. Uh, Behold, I am with you. How long? Always. To the end of the age. You know, they would see Jesus ascend into heaven. Some angels would say, hey, he's going to come back the same way that he departed. And think, you've, if you're one of those disciples, you've been with Jesus for three years. You've seen him, his life. You've seen everything he's done. You've seen him come back from death to life. He's left you, and you've only been around him for that long. He says, I'm with you always. What assurance to be able to live this life today in a troubled world and to go and be able to make disciples because he is the one with all authority, and we, therefore, are able to accomplish what he commands us to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this before he ascends. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus promised them and promised us the power of God the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, God living in us. That gives us great confidence. That gives us great assurance. Even in those moments when we're shaking our boots and someone says, are you a Christian? In those moments when you're trying to talk with your neighbor and you so want to tell them about Jesus and you're just like, oh man, Lord, I'm fearful. I don't know what to say. In those moments when, you know, a family member that you know and they just think that Christianity is ridiculous. And it's like, man, I, I want to minister to them. I want to tell them. We are able to go and make disciples. We are able to fulfill what God has commanded us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we have the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, living in us. Again, the disciples lost their lives making disciples more disciples and I don't know about you but throughout the year I get different reports from mission organizations around the world and I read stories of Christians in other countries who are killed who are persecuted who are slaughtered because of their faith in Jesus and I've thought many times oh Lord would I stand for your name if someone someone was threatening my life and I'll tell you this on my own power no I'd be running the other way I'd be denying Jesus, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, God and me, I could say, yes, I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And God promised that for his followers. So my question for you as we look towards the end of this is this. How are you living your life on the mission of making disciples? The question is not, how are you living the life of an evangelist like Billy Graham? The question is, how are you living your life on mission of making disciples? What is your role in God's mission, and specifically as we word it here at this church, to know Christ and to make him known? Because again, I find that many believers are unsure about how to do this, and there is fear. Some of you, you need to ask the question, hey, are you a gifted teacher Has God given you the gift of teaching, not even just with a large group, but maybe even one-on-one? How are you using that gift to be about the mission to make disciples? Maybe some of you are like, man, I could never stand in front of anyone. I couldn't even lead a small group, but hey, I can serve behind the scenes. How are you using that to enable others to make disciples? I mean, I pray that we're not a lazy church that just sits here. Some of you might think, well, I really can't do any of those things because maybe physically or whatever, or this, or whatever. some of you then may have the gift of encouragement or God's called you to pray and you need to pray and beg and ask the Lord to just pour out his spirit upon us and that God would empower us. Some of you are great encouragement people and you need to go write some letters. I got a letter from someone this week. I was like, ah, oh, it's encouraging. Some of you, or all of you, I pray that this year we're going to offer this Purpose Finders class Every quarter this year, we're going to do it different times. Next week, you'll see it's during the second service. We'll do it on some different days, different I pray that all of you go through that class. It's a short class, but it's a thing of going, hey, there's no formula or whatever, but it's to be able to go, hey, how am I using my gifts to serve the body of Christ, to make disciples, to make Christ known in this world? But the big idea we've looked at this morning is that Jesus saves and he sins. And if Jesus saves and he sins us and we are saved people and sent people, what do we do about this? How should we be about making disciples? We need to seek and ask the Lord to guide and direct us and help us to not be people who give excuses. I pray that we don't give excuses to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, Jesus, I'm not ready yet because I haven't read the whole Bible. I can't make a disciple because I don't even know the order of the books of the Bible. I don't even know what what is in Leviticus. We can't give excuses and say, you know what? I'm not Billy Graham. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of teaching. That's the pastor's job. I pray we never use that excuse some of us use this excuse. We may not say it, but we're like, I am so busy, Lord. How could I ever make a disciple? About 20 years ago, that same group I was talking to you about a few minutes ago, there was a junior hire At seventh grade, he was bigger than me. Love that kid. But he was a terror. And he was a great distraction. And I realized no one ever poured into his life. And I was getting so upset with him every single week. I was just like, man, that kid, that, he just, he'd always disrupt stuff. And then one day it just hit me. I'm like, okay, I need to, if I actually love him, I need to pour my life in him. I don't know what to do. And I look and there's a light switch on the wall. And I'm like, hey, come over here. Jeremy, come here. And I said, hey, Jeremy, um, I need some help. Uh, can you turn off the light and, and, you know, for today? And he just looked at me weird. I said, well, you know, when Troy gets up to lead worship, we have to have someone turn off the lights because we've got that, that overhead projector and we can't see the words unless we turn the lights off. And he goes, okay. And he starts. I said, no, not yet. Not yet. And I said, I'll show you how to do this. And so Jeremy comes over and I grab two chairs and set it down. And, and Troy comes up to lead worship and Jeremy's here. The lights are here. He's reaching across. I said, hold on. Hold on. Troy gets up there and he prays. I said, we turn it off now. And Troy prays, and he leads worship afterwards. And then, and then, and then the, uh, the, Troy's done, and Jeremy's. he wants to flip the light switch on again. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. No, not, not yet. Wait until he prays. Okay, now turn it on. And the next week, I come to youth group, and I'm like, hey, Jeremy, you got lights tonight? He goes, yeah, I got lights tonight. I know what to do. So I go and grab two chairs. He goes, what are you doing? I'm going to sit next to you. Make sure you do it right. He goes, no, I know how to do it. I sat next to him and he's like flipping the light ahead of time. Everyone's, all the kids in the room looking. I'm like, stop that. All right, turn it back on. Do it at the right time. The next week comes. and I'm like, all right, Jeremy, can you do it tonight? He goes, yeah. I said, I'm not going to sit by you. He's like, oh, great. He did it correctly. A few weeks go by and I said, hey, Jeremy, uh, what if you're not here next week? He goes, what do you mean? I think he made some sarcastic joke like you're going to miss me or something or whatever. And I said, hey, who's going to turn off lights? He goes, oh, you will. I'm like, no, I can't turn off the lights. I'm busy. Oh, the adult leaders will. I'm like, no, they're busy too. Who? He goes, well, my friend Ben. Show him. And it was comical to watch him do the same steps. He makes Ben, he grabs two chairs. But then it got to the point where he really doesn't want Ben to touch the light. And I told him the next time, I'm like, you've got to let him touch that. He goes, it's my job. No, you're supposed to replace yourself. And have you ever thought about that as a disciple of Christ? God calls you to make disciples to replace yourself. How are you going to replace yourself? Who are you going to train up? Who are you going to pour your life into? The worship team's coming forward. I mean, I even think about our worship team. We've got people with gifts to play instruments and to sing and lead us in worship. How will a worship team pour in to others and disciple more? How will every teacher in this church... Train up new teachers. How will our children's ministry continue to train up new people? Will you name the list of all the things that we could be doing here? That's what we're to be about. Sharing Jesus Christ and as the Holy Spirit convicts and saves, we disciple them. We walk with them. And those who go like, man, I don't even know where you find the book of Matthew. Here, let me help you. Some people, they become a believer and we think that they know what. Our, when we say, hey, turn to Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. They're like, what's a 5-1? They're like, what's a Matthew? We need people who are actually sit next to me. Here, let me show you what that means. Here's what that, that's a chapter and that's a verse. And I could go on. But I'll read one more passage. Matthew chapter 9. Go and read Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, To send out laborers into his harvest. Would you pray that God would do that here? Next Sunday, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture which the Apostle Paul points out how his believers were given the ministry of reconciliation, this picture of making disciples. We need to pray. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our lives that we would be obedient to what God has called us to do. Father, I ask that in this moment that you would stir our hearts and give us great assurance that you dwell in us, that the power raising Christ from death to life is in us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would urge us and that you wouldn't uh, let that urging in our heart go away to tell people about Jesus. Father, help us to be obedient. Help us not to be lazy. Help us to have a sensitive heart and eyes and ears to pay attention to what you're doing around us. Send us to people who need Jesus and help us to walk alongside with others who need to grow in their relationship with you. May you receive all the praise and glory from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.